I recognize the significance of speaking tonight, and so I thought I would approach it with the same intensity that a university student would prepare for an important uh, term paper or final project. So last night, I... <laughs> last night, I opened up my laptop, got a couple of Red Bulls and some Doritos, and this is what I came up with. So get ready. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just kidding. I don't drink Red Bull. So I saw this photo I want to show you, and it's of an iceberg. Take a look at this. It's a beautiful photo. You've probably seen photos like this, but it struck my attention, and I, and I looked at it, and I... I um, looked up information about some the icebergs because we can't see something like this with our eye. This is special photography. And, but 91% of an iceberg is below the surface. So what we see is, is 10% for those of you who uh, didn't go to college. Um, <laughs> nine. But, but isn't it kind of like how we see things in life that we look at the surface and we put our focus on that, but often we are not aware of or we can't see or we don't recognize what's below the surface. What allows the part for us, what we see, what allows that to, to be. And so I think that happens whether it's like legacy we are focused on the, uh, what's above the surface and unaware sometimes of what's under the surface. Sometimes it might be problems we face or the success of others or the person you're dating. <laughs> Philip, stop. <laughs> yeah, we, we look at what's visible and are unaware what's below the surface. So tonight I want to talk to you about what's below the surface. What's below the surface in important things in our life that really make a difference in who we are and how we honor God? And we talk about legacy nights, and there's a difference between legacy and destiny. And we use those words often interchangeably, but there's a, a, an important connection. But legacy is what went before us. Legacy is something we build on to get to our destiny and so we're not trying to go back and redo legacy. We're recognizing legacy. We're honoring legacy. But we're trying to be, have legacy be a catalyst to our destiny. It's, it's kind of like the momentum of, of pedaling a bicycle where one would be uh, legacy and one is destiny and one drives the other and one is in, out of insight and recognition of the other. But even still, I think sometimes we look at the surface and go, wow, isn't that person's life great or wasn't that movement great? But God's not calling us back to 1906 in Los Angeles. He wants us to see that legacy and then imagine and dream of what God could do in the future. Kierkegaard said, life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. 
forward, yeah. So maybe we should recognize that we have to do something in this season of our life that our future self will be grateful for. And maybe we recognize that what happened in legacy, we might see one thing, but we're not aware of what happened below the surface. The struggles, the battles, the investment, the sacrifice, the mistakes, the wisdom, the cost of wisdom. Somebody, somebody said that wisdom comes from uh, experience, and usually it's from bad experience that <laughs> you get wisdom for the future. And like, oh, I don't want to do that again. But we, it is significant the legacy that we talk about, the legacy in Los Angeles and Southern California. And God has unleashed many movements of God when we say we need a move. We're talking about the move of the Holy Spirit. We need a move of the Holy Spirit in our life, and we need it in our churches, and we need it in our country. And um, in 1906, there was Azusa Street, and there was in the 20s, uh, Angelus Temple here in Los Angeles, Amy Simple McPherson and this, the Foursquare movement, and there were the healing revivals of the 40s and 50s, and Billy Graham launching his ministry here in Los Angeles, and, and uh, the Jesus movement, and charismatic renewal, and the Vineyard movement, which is still functioning in many churches today. And... Um, for me, um, I got to experience the, the Jesus movement and the charismatic renewal, and, and um, I saw tremendous miracle services at the Shrine Auditorium with Catherine Kuhlman, who was just um, an amazing uh, minister of miracles. And, um, and so there is a legacy and there is a heritage, but then it's like, we don't want to go back to that. And so often I think, do it again, but I don't think the next move of the Holy Spirit is going to look like it looked before. So I don't think that, I, I used to say that I want to see it one more time, but then I don't, I don't know if that's what God has in mind. You know, I think he wants to do something fresh and do something new. And I think one of the reasons that those things that happened, you know, sort of went like a wave and crashed on the shore and, you know, all we have is photos, is that somehow it wasn't integrated into the local church. The move of God was the thing that began, became the thing that everybody did and then it didn't translate into the local church and so when that move was over, the church was like, okay, so now what? And we've got to find a way. We've got to ask God to show us how to integrate the move of the Holy Spirit with our church. So uh, our churches. So I want to uh, talk to you about two or three things and see uh, how this goes um, today and see if I can get... What I'm going to do is do this amazing sermon and then... <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to pray. Uh, I want to read over three or four scriptures about healing, and we're going to pray and then just uh, enjoy God's presence. So, um, but I want to talk to you about the presence of God. And when we talk about the presence of God, we have to look below the surface. On our best day, we're probably aware of that 9%. 
Maybe we know a little bit more. Maybe we've experienced a little bit more. But I think about the generations that came from Moses. Moses was one of the greatest leaders in the entire scripture. Moses was a man that God spoke to face to face. He was one of the great prophets uh, uh, in the Old Testament. And uh, so God was with Moses. Then Joshua came after him, and God was with Joshua in a new way, in a fresh way. And then there was the next generation where we have a problem. And so I have just a couple of scriptures here. I want to read it so you can see what I'm talking about. So in Exodus 33, verse 16, it says, Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and on your people, if you don't go with us? For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from the other people on earth. There's something about the presence of God. And this this week of meetings is not about good preaching and it's not about good singing. It's about the presence of God. If all that we do as volunteers and serving and worshiping and all is about the presence of God, and I'm fearful for myself that I'm so used to that top 10%. I go, oh, this is it, that I miss that, that beneath the service, service that there's so much more, so much more. And so God told Joshua in Joshua 1, chapter 5, he said, just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you nor forsake you. There is a transference of God's presence And something happened that we don't really know exactly what took place, but we read in the book of Judges, chapter 2, talking about the generation that came after Joshua. And it says, and all the generation also were gathered to their fathers, which died, and there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Something took place, and Joshua wasn't mindless about it. Joshua was the one that said, let's build this memorial and have 12 stones, and when our children's children will see this, they'll remember the good things that God did. So he had intention, he had effort, but somehow we missed it. And Aren't we like that sometimes where we've experienced the presence of God? And so we do kind of what we were doing when we experience the presence of God, and then we get going, and all of a sudden you're thinking, I'm doing the stuff, but I, I don't sense his presence. And so we have to ask God to show us what's beneath the surface to help us be aware of the presence of God. As some of you know, I have a, a grandbaby that's um, uh, almost uh, two but when she was born, we were following the, the information you get online about what develops in the child in the first month and what happens in the second month. And, and my daughter, Paris, had read in the fifth month, the baby begins to recognize distance and separation. So, like, she would be happy if I was holding her or... Holly is holding her, and the mom is there because she didn't really perceive the difference in distance. 
and that they begin to see separation from their mother. And so it's in the sixth month when they start having preferences. Ah. I'm like, what? You were perfect before. What do you mean? You loved being in my arms. What's wrong with you? And she's like, Mom. And I, when I thought about that, I just thought about, shouldn't we be more aware of the distance that happens with us? God's presence is everywhere, but there's something about the manifestation of God's presence in our life that we are like Moses. It's like, we can't go forward without you. Show me what I'm doing that I should not be doing. Show me what I should be doing or that I'm not. Change my heart. The presence of God comes in many ways, and I think one is, is we become aware of his presence when we hear his voice. And hearing God's voice is one of the greatest provisions of God to us, one of the greatest blessings, the greatest privileges is to hear his voice. But I don't know if you're like me, but I don't always hear it that good. Can I just be real with you? Sometimes I just don't know what to do next. And I'm praying. I hate it when you preach on hearing God's voice and then the next week you can't hear a thing. <laughs> you guys ever see that movie, Bruce Almighty, where he's driving down the road and he's like, show me a sign. I mean, that's, sometimes that's like me. I have a photo, look at this. He's like, show me a sign, Lord. And he's like, dead end, wrong way, stop. I was like, wow, that's what, that's what I need. Have you ever just prayed for a sign? I thought I'd try that, but look what happened to me. I got another picture here. I don't know what that means. Taylor Company and Swift Company. So I, got, I bought tickets for a concert just in case. I, mean, I, don't, I don't want to miss it. But isn't that crazy that it's such a great privilege and so what's beneath the surface in hearing God's voice? What does it take? What is God's intention? What is it? Am I, you know, we don't want to fake it. I mean, sometimes we just, we say, oh, God told me to, you know. We, some people talk like they walk down the street and they have a conversation with God and he just speaks. And you, There's a Starbucks over there. I mean, God knows I know how to find him, so he didn't tell me about that. <laughs> but... I, sometimes I'm just like, well, I'm going to keep doing what I last heard you to do until you, you know how slow I can be. If I need to hear something, go ahead and intervene, you know. <laughs> but hearing his voice is so important. That's why I love the word of God because that is so powerful in discerning and providing the word of God for us and bringing us into his presence. There's something about the presence of God related to light. And, um, you know, in, in Matthew, Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, he said, your lives light up the world. Let others see your light from a distance, for how can you hide a city that stands on a hilltop? So don't hide your light. Let it shine brightly before others so that the commendable things you do will shine as light upon them and then they will give their praise to your Father in heaven. There's something about the light of God that shines through us. It's his presence that is that light. 
And I recently read about this city in Norway, Rujan, Norway, and in uh, 2013, they had this uh, miracle thing that took place. A hundred, this city is positioned in the mountains of Norway, and six months out of the year, they live in total darkness. And this particular town, because the mountains on the side are so steep, and the mountain before them was so high that like, um, unlike other places there, they were in the dark for six months. In fact, during those six months, you had to take a cable car to the top of a mountain to see the sunlight six months out of the year. And so 100 years ago, one of the founders of the city had devised this idea that they only figured out how to do it in 2013, but they positioned gigantic mirrors on the top of this mountain peak. They um, had them solar power run by computers to track the sun and so that it would reflect light down into the city from these mirrors. And so I thought, about, let me just show you a picture. The first picture is these gigantic mirrors at a distance. It's reflecting the sun. And then look at the next picture. It's reflecting down into the city. The, the, it lights an area of um, about 600 square meters. And if you're American, you have no idea what that means. <laughs> and so that's like seven football fields laid out somehow. And um, so the people in the town come together and they play volleyball and they do things in the light. And here's, a, here's one last picture of it there. And I just thought, when I, when I heard this story, I thought about Matthew 5 and I thought about how God's uh, legacy for Los Angeles and God's destiny for us is to be a light in this city. And so we want to be a reflection of God's presence so that it shines into a place of darkness. Let your light shine. But I have some good news for you, that there's power in sanctifying the ordinary. And what I mean by that is a holy moment is not the absence of the unholy, but the presence of God. So in this city where there's darkness, weariness, confusion, anger, there is a light that can shine into this city and make what is unholy, holy by his presence. The second thing I'll talk to you about tonight is love and compassion. And um, we have to look below the surface because what's above the surface is great. To be loved to love in a way that others uh, receive it and appreciate it, connect with it is great. Showing compassion is so powerful. Authentic, authentic faith requires compassion and grace. Uh, a few weeks ago, Julian, in his message, said this, um, grace is getting something you don't deserve, and mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Grace and mercy, that's the compassion of God. And so I wonder if that shouldn't be what we are giving to others, what we're sharing, the love and compassion of God. How can we go deeper with how we love people 
how we show compassion. You know, loving people who are different than you enough to build rapport with them is the greatest gesture of genuine love, I believe. So I came up with this on my own. It was late last night, so (laughs) you should check it out in Scripture. But I think that it's loving people in a way. But isn't that what Jesus, don't you imagine that was what Jesus was like, that he loved people who were different enough, who were broken enough, and he didn't make them feel more broken. He didn't, he didn't uh, beat them down, but there was something where they felt valued right where they were in that moment and were drawn to that, drawn to his presence in such a way that that love and grace and mercy begins to transform us. And, and I think sometimes we just we don't connect with people uh, on a human level very well. We just, we look at people if they're right or wrong. We look at people, I mean, but our world needs to have a little taste of what we experience here in this church and the diversity. And I believe in my heart there is a lot of respect and mutual appreciation for there's a multitude of generations here in this room. There's a multitude of diversity in religious background or uh, from nothing to any kind of religion and uh, diversity ethnically, racially, and just, just the color of our skin in this room is diverse. There's black and brown and beige (laughs) and white and really white. (laughs) I see y'all out there. That's my people. But isn't what we experience in the world is just like we notice the difference and then we're pointing that out. That's the focus. We're different. I don't know how close I can get to you. And there has to be a way that compassion leads us. Do we, do we ever really listen to somebody and find out how they become, became who they are? Or why they made the decision? With just out of interest, out of care, you guys have friends that just like can talk your ear off? I mean, man, that's, it's good for introverts like me to have somebody like that around every once in a while so that if you can't think of anything to say, they, they got plenty. <laughs> but some people just talk nonstop. I wonder if they have a problem to just like, can you s- stop and just list, like ask and listen? I mean, I think that's a great gesture of love. I mean, I mean, we love you extroverts, but some people, they just talk so much, Jehovah's Witnesses would go, whew, I got to get going. <laughs> I got to get out of here. See? <laughs> I thought, I watched, I watched this movie on Netflix, which I, I watched it twice. I loved it so much. It was called Two Popes. And the acting was great, but I loved listening to them talk to each other and, and hear what they were thinking. And this, this is one of the quotes from the movie. It said, the greater the sinner, the warmer the welcome. 
Mercy is the dynamite that blows down walls. I was like, man, I, that's what I want to have. I, I, wouldn't it be great if one of the things that people said when they encountered you is that they felt like they'd gotten a little glimpse of who Jesus was? <laughs> Love and compassion. Okay, last thing is healing of our soul. This is, can't be minimized, the significance of this. Because I believe we have to look below the surface. Because who we are, that 10% that everybody sees, there are battle scars, there are pains, there are rejections, there are betrayals, there are disappointments, abandonments, and all these things that we deal with in life. And it, uh, it forms who we are on the surface and who we're not. And sometimes in the Christian world, we're good with the top surface. We've got to somehow normalize brokenness. I like, I, I heard somebody say, uh, it's okay to not be okay. But it's not okay to stay not okay. I mean, but to allow God deeper. And so the Christians, we're expert at just doing the surface work. You know, get saved, give your life to Jesus. A month later, we're giving a testimony. And we don't know what's in store down below. Because he wants us to love him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul. I gotta show you this one other picture and it'll be my last one here, but it's of a road, a pavement. And I thought this was great. Because there's a crack in the pavement with some duct tape, that ought to do it. Yeah, got prayed over. Everything's good. Praise Jesus. I don't want to live my life that way. And sometimes it's in pain. Sometimes it's in transition. Sometimes it's in moments of God's presence where we start to realize that the brokenness that's in us. And in church, sometimes we're afraid to share it with anybody because then we think, oh, we're going to be excommunicated or we're going to be looked on differently. And hey, it's that way in ministry. I mean, I've been as open as is appropriate with the weaknesses and failures and foolishness that I've been through in my life. And usually if there's been a good sermon, it's been probably because... I learned the hard way. But I don't share that in green rooms. No, because it's, it's too risky. But now, this is one of the things that I'm being invited into is these conversations with pastors who that 10% didn't last long and now they're in crisis because the 90% is getting real. Spilling over. And they're freaking out because it's like, who do I tell that doesn't try to kick me out of my church or remove the calling of ministry or who, who can I trust? And so I'm joining with a few 
brothers to go, we can, you can talk to us. Let's talk about it. And so I say that to you because behind the addictions, behind the weariness, behind the attempted suicides, behind or below the depression, the anxiety, is hurts unresolved. This one philosopher, Nietzsche, he said, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. But what he failed to emphasize is that what doesn't kill you almost kills you. I've discovered that what doesn't kill you first makes you binge on Netflix and have an extra glass of wine around midnight. <laughs> and then you get stronger. <laughs> but that's not the first place we usually go when we're hurting. We try to, how do we band-aid it? How do we distance ourselves? How do we hide? How do we isolate? We do what Adam and Eve did. We isolate and we get in the dark and we cover up. I think God wants to bring healing and freedom. We were singing that song about freedom. That was really speaking to me. And um, I can't remember the words, but that's a whole other story. That's, that's some of my 90. But... The good thing about that is I can't remember who I'm supposed to be upset with, so. It's like, when I used to pray, God, help me be in the moment more. I should have been more specific. I can't really remember stuff that I'm supposed to remember, but I know these guys. But here's what I do know. Let me tell you, if there's something, one thing you take away, maybe this is it. But who you are and who you are becoming is much more important than what you do. And I think I've taught a lot of times about achievement and that God wants to do great things with us. But I found myself feeling like, wrestling with my worth or my value by how many people are coming to church or how many services we had or how many are getting baptized and and that that is not what God wants to ultimately do in us he wants to learn uh, he wants us to understand that life is more about who we are and who we become and I think the fruit comes. He wants the fruit. He wants us to be effective and make impact. But I think one of the biggest things under the surface that hinders us is those hurts. Don't keep it in the dark. And um, I think God's going to free us. And I believe that while I've been speaking that God's been healing people and I think that you may not even be aware. You're just so used to having that pain that you didn't even think about it. But as you think about it now, you're going to realize it's not there anymore. And some of you are feeling a shift in 
some of these moods and emotions that I've described before, they seem like they have a mind of their own. Have you ever been like that? Like discouragement sometimes has its own brain. People say, just be positive, but sometimes being positive doesn't stick. But God has the ability to break that power so that, um, you know, people say, well, what do you have to be discouraged about? It's not that. It's emotion. It's, a, it's the enemy. It's brokenness on, underneath the surface. And so God's healing that tonight. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just read a couple scriptures and then we're going to pray and worship. Here's what I want you to know, because I believe there's power in the Word of God. So I'm just going to read this real quick. You can take screenshots if you want. Isaiah 38:16. I will restore your health and let you live. That's for somebody here today. Think of it. I'm ready to heal you. I will restore your health and let you live. I will restore your health and let you live. I will restore your health and let you live. Think of it. I'm ready to heal you. Psalm 147, he heals the brokenhearted and bandages their wounds, not with the duct tape, but with the work of the Holy Spirit. Heals the brokenhearted. He heals the brokenhearted. 1 Peter 2, 24, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds, you are healed. He personally carried your sin and your sickness on the cross. By his wounds, you are healed. Cancer is being healed. Injuries are being healed. Knee injuries, spine injuries are being healed in the name of Jesus. We pray, like in Acts chapter 4, stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Stretch out your hand to heal. Oh, Holy Spirit, the presence of God is here. The presence of God is touching you. Be expectant. Reach out. 